Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss, as usual. And today I have the great pleasure of having a friend back again into the studio with me, uh, Rabbi Eric Walker. So Rabbi Eric, I am so glad that you are here today, and I'm so excited about our topic. Earlier, um, earlier this year, as I've been asking the Lord about what's going on in the world and um, and what is he doing? What is he, why is he visiting us? What's all this shaking about? Um, I felt like the Lord had shown me actually the year before that he was coming to deal with anything in the church that has uh, that has hindered our relationship with him or hindered our worship of him. So specifically, some of the things he talked to me about were apostasy and idolatry, the toleration of Jezebel. And then he talked to me about a religious spirit. Now, I have a working knowledge of a religious spirit and the Jezebel spirit and how that operates, of course. Um, and I understand some bits of warfare, of spiritual warfare, though I'm I'm much more in tune with listening for the times and seasons and helping God's people understand how to join God in what he's doing in a time so that he can work in their lives and he can they can move forward. However, in this time, it has shifted quite a bit. And so in relationship to a religious spirit, I, I felt like he gave me, a, this is how he always works with me. He gives me a passage of scripture and then he, and he gives me a phrase. And so he kept saying to me, there is a worship that defies a religious spirit. I'm, I'm like, Lord, I, I don't exactly understand what you're saying. And so he said, go to Luke seven and read verses 36 to 50. So I wanna read those. And then I'm going to tell you just a couple other things that I've heard about that because I'm begin I'm putting my message together. My messages take me months because I do a lot of research, and um, and so actually I'm using you, Rabbi Eric, for research today. But I thought that my people would really like to hear about it. So this is called uh, in the ESV version, a sinful woman forgives. So starting at verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing beside him, behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, who had invited him saw this, um, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it teacher. A certain money holder had two debtors and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one I suppose who with whom he has counseled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. She did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with um, ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And so as I, as I thought about this passage of scripture in relation to a religious spirit, I know that oftentimes we think of Pharisees as those who operate in a religious spirit, so to speak. So spirits, of course, are not actually people. They are attitudes, mindsets. They are actual demons um, that can inhabit people or, or lead them in their actions and behaviors. And um, however, um, in this passage, I was sort of, I was taken aback when I realized that the Pharisees were the church of that day. And, and he asked Jesus to come to his house um, and he wanted to hear him. But it's interesting because I thought, well, he was inviting him for a hearing, not to hear a hearing. In other words, to vet him, to prove him, to see if he's, if he is who, who people are saying he is, but not to hear him in order to obey out of faith and, and love for Jesus in order to worship him. But this woman, you know, who is, who has been a sinner, she, she comes and throws everything aside in the house of a religious spirit. And she with abandon worships Jesus. And, um, and I thought, oh, isn't, isn't this sort of what you're beginning to sort of show me, Lord, that, that there is a worship that defies a religious spirit in the church. And, and, and I felt like, so I haven't worked all this out. So I'm just sort of, I'm just sort of not rambling, but I'm telling you the little pieces that I have, and then I'll ask you a question. And so um, the other thing that I found in this passage of scripture is that the word see, behold, see, see, saw are used several times in this little, in this little passage. And I thought is it's so interesting because the Pharisee saw what the woman was doing. He saw the woman come in, saw what the woman's doing, but he didn't see her and he didn't see what was really going on. He was, a, he was blinded by his religious spirit, you know? And then Jesus says to him, Simon, I want to, I want to say something to you. He says something, but then he says, do you see this woman? Because from the moment she came in, Jesus saw her. He saw, Simon saw a sinner who was defiling Jesus. And Jesus saw a woman who'd been defiled by sin becoming clean because she had faith. And I, I just thought the, the irony of that was quite amazing. So then the last piece I just want to throw out there for you um, to, just to hear um, Rabbi Walker was, um, I found this quote from Abraham, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he says this, when faith is completely replaced by creed, worship by discipline, love by habit, when the crisis of the day is ignored because of the splendors of the past, when faith becomes an heirloom rather than a living fountain, and when religion speaks only in the name of authority rather than with the voice of compassion, its message becomes meaningless. When I read that, I felt like that, that describes how I would understand a person who's operating in a religious spirit. It just becomes meaningless. And so I invited you on today specifically, well, there's lots of times I'm gonna invite you on and talk to you about subjects like this, but, but what's on my heart right now is I, I want to understand what a religious spirit is. How does it make us blind guides? You know, Jesus talked to the Pharisees in, of his day several times and said, you're blind guides, you know, so, so how does it blind us? What does it entail? 
and um, and what does it really mean that the church is infected with a religious spirit? Can you speak to any of that for me? Sure. Um, I want to back all the way all the way back to Baal and to the prophets of Baal and Elijah. Okay. And if you remember that um, Elijah stood before the prophets of Baal and uh, said, we'll test, we'll test who is God. You build a fire, I'll build, I'll, we'll build stacks of wood. You call on your God to rain down fire and consume the fire. And so they began to call out to their God and nothing was answered. And so he began to mock them. And in that mockery, the, the, is he on vacation? Is he asleep? Is he gone? And uh, you, you began to get the feeling that uh, this kind of idol worship, this kind of devotion to an idol mm-hmm. was blinding them that they were so compelled to believe because they were idol worshipers. Now, you can see an idol and you can speak to an idol, but the idol cannot speak to you. We, on the other hand, cannot see God, Mm -hmm. but we can speak to him and he can speak to us, which is the greater faith. So as we see that story unfold, we see that there's a spirit. And even though they all said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, the men still ran down and took the beautiful woman. Why? The spirit of Baal is a religious spirit. And religious spirit Rules, regulations, codes, creeds, oaths. I'll give you an example of how that yields into sexual sin. And they're related. They're always related. So sexual sin and and a religious spirit are always related. Always related. Okay. Give you an example. I'll give you a living example. In Christianity, in the broadest sense of those who proclaim a faith in a Jesus. Maybe not the Jesus that Paul preached, but one similar. Has over 1.2 billion adherents. And is rampant sexual sin you can't break their rules you must go by their guidelines the catechism the rules the regulations it must be their way or it's no way as a matter of fact when i was doing talk radio i had a caller that said to me you may be born of the line of abraham isaac and jacob you may have made a proclamation and believed in your heart and professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But if you are not a Roman Catholic, you are going to die and go to hell. Why? This religious spirit had gripped them so much that these, the tighter the rules and regulations, and so 
who fell next? The next big fall was the Boy Scouts. And you began to see that we have this code and you have the manual, unless you go by the manual. Didn't matter what truth was, this was truth. It's a religious spirit. And out of that breeds sexual sin. As we began to see the churches move to a more liberal, you began to examine the doctrine of the church. And you have the United Methodist Church that adheres to the Book of Discipline. The Book of Discipline almost replaces the Bible. And what's happening? They are now splitting, dividing over what you and I would call sexual sin. And when we take a look, isn't it interesting that in Acts 15, the only four requirements of the law that carried over to the Gentiles happen to have deal with two matters of food. Don't eat strangled meat. Don't eat meat sacrificed to an idol. Right. The third one was have nothing to do with the blood. So Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the things in the blood and the blood for making atonement. And the fourth was abstain from sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Meaning, reject, discern the religious spirit because it will get you caught up. Today in the church, we have pastors falling. We have people who have led flocks of 70,000, 80,000, 90,000, and they've created these manuals and these guidelines and their way of doing things. And you become indoctrinated, oriented to how they want to do things. And outside of that, if you act outside of those parameters, well, then you are eventually not welcome there. What happens? We're starting to see prominent pastors fall into sexual sin. It's all connected to a religious spirit. Conforming to a set of rules and regulations that are not of God, but are by people who exhibit a form of godliness. Mm. Scripture tells us that is not godly. When we take a look at the structure 2,000 years ago of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and a group not much talked about in the church, the Essenes, were the three major sects of leadership. The Pharisees were uh, the most important. They were really the spiritual fathers of Judaism. They believed in uh, the oral law. Now, the Bible tells us there's no such thing as the oral law. And if we look at the progression of Mount Sinai, Moses comes down Mount Sinai and he tells Aaron everything that God told him and showed him on the mountain. Instructed Aaron to tell the people everything that God showed Moses and told Moses. That pattern was then repeated and the people were told. As that generation died out, 
we read in Deuteronomy, there's now a collection of 19-year-olds. All their parents are dead. Moses is giving his farewell. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. He's giving his farewell sermon. And he's charging Joshua. And he tells Joshua everything that God told Moses on the mountain and everything that showed him. And he said, and when you enter the promised land, you will gather the children of Israel together and you will tell them everything that God showed me and God told me. So oral law, if everything was told and everything was recorded, where, where does oral law come from? But in that intertestamental period, that 400 years, that is a window of great mystery to a lot of people because you don't have canonized documents. You have the Book of Enoch. But Jude quoted from the Book of Enoch. So does that not validate and canonize it to a certain degree? It does. You have the Book of Maccabees, the tell of what the influences were, the Seleucids, the Greeks, the philosophers, the people who had pursuit of knowledge of a culture that embraced uh, public baths, homosexuality, mm-hmm. all of the things that we would consider to be debauchery, all of the things that we would consider to be. Men always had the theatrical roles. There were no women in theater at the time. Therefore, a man played a woman's part. What happens? You put on a dress and makeup every single day of your life and perform for people. Do you get confused? Certainly you do. You have an identity crisis? Certainly you do. All that begins to permeate society and assimilation was what exactly what was happening. The Pharisees felt that they had an obligation to continue in the teachings of the Mosaic law. And in the Mosaic system, you have at its very heart the redemption of Isaac. The redemption of Isaac was a belief that either God would bring a substitute or he would resurrect. Mm -hmm. And the Sadducees were the most legalistic because they only confined themselves just to the law. The prophets and resurrection were not a part of their equation, and they felt that they were the heirs to the priesthood, to Zadok, who was the last priest, Zadok II, the last priest we have in the line of Aaron until the Sanhedrin is formed again, and the high priest takes up his role in the line of Aaron, a descendant of Zadok, to call for the return of Messiah. So the teachings of the time brought in, do I assimilate into a Greek culture, which is steeped in Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. If you read any of the writings, it's all about self, self-service. And what is self-service? It's a sexual spirit. It's an idol worship, and I become the idol. And in Greek philosophy, I am God. I am the God. 
And so what happens is, is that we have this divide, a divide so great that the division between the Pharisees and Sadducees was so disgusting and repugnant to the super spiritual that the Essenes, imagine you're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem has seasons. It snowed there. Yeah, there's first snowfall. It has winter, it has summer, it has fall. It's a beautiful city. And they packed up and they moved to the cliffs of Qumran at the Dead Sea, the lowest point on earth, the hottest place on earth. And there they wrote. It was a sect of men. How do we recognize them? Because Jesus gave us a clue. He said, go to the man carrying water. Men don't carry water. Women carry water. Yeah. So we knew he was talking about the Essenes. He, was, mm-hmm. he recognized them as the super, super spiritual. We know that John the Baptist, okay, John, not really a Baptist, the son of a Levitical priest, himself a Levitical priest. That's why he could immerse. He comes from this line. And we see this religious spirit. And Jesus is trying to confront this religious spirit. As he dealt with the prostitutes, now the rumors began. Even today, even today, was he having a sexual relationship with Mary Magdalene? Even today, why? Because the carnal mind will go there. Not because the purity of God. Yes. But because we have allowed the world to permeate our belief system by these rules. Look at denominational Christianity. Each one has a set of parameters and rules. Women may not speak, uh, no musical instruments on Sunday. Uh, uh, All prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD, so no prophecy exists for today. You begin to go through the checklist of all the things that divide the rules. And where those rules are, a person elevates themselves, puts himself in a position of authority, tells you what they're doing to you is okay. I'm the man of God. And people submit to that. Yeah. That's a religious spirit. Goes back to Baal. Back to the carnality of it. And as they looked at Jesus, example after example, he's in the boat with the disciples and he said, I want to go to the other side. Well, he's there in Tiberias. The other side is a city called Remote, R-E-M-O-T. Remote is the habitat of the thieves, the prostitutes. This is where the rejects of society. He even tells him fish on the other side of the boat. That's who we're supposed to go to. And yet, because he had fellowship with the tax collectors because he had fellowship with women because he had a conversation with the woman of the well think of this you have doctrine today that prohibits a woman from speaking in a church in the first revival that ever took place in the bible 
Right. Was it the mouth of a woman? Mm -hmm. The woman of sin who met the man at the well who by tradition and law, they were half-breeds and it would be inferred that he was there to meet as everyone found their wife at the well. Yeah. Why was Jesus alone with a woman at the well? It could only be perverted. It could only be perverse. But no, he told her of her sin. He knew everything about her. And she went back to the village and they all came back to meet the man and all came to faith in him. The first revival. But yet we have, because of this religious spirit, we take and we extract that of scripture and we apply it. Why? to elevate ourselves, mm. to put ourselves in a position. And you look at the ministry, the pastors, the leaders of churches, the attacks, the gossip, the slander, the innuendo, the attacks on them, almost without exception, the very first charge is of a sexual nature. Mm. And in fact, Many have succumbed, and in fact, many have admitted it. Many have stepped down because of that. But when we look at these systems that have been put in place, these rules, these regulations, the more strict they are, the quieter people are. They don't speak of it, and this is predatory. Mm. This is exactly what the woman who is being abused in fear, don't tell anybody. That's that religious spirit hmm. that permeates using knowledge, power, wisdom, and rules. This is why being a biblical contextualist, I have but one set of rules. It's right there. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why Jesus said, he said, right, he said, do not swear. Do not take an oath. Do not take a vow. Don't sign the membership, the list of things that I'm agreeing to abide by. He said, don't swear by heaven and don't swear by earth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything else is from the evil one. Mm -hmm. Think of the Masons and what they do in secret. Think of the secret societies. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you take a look at this religious spirit, the Jim Jones. Yeah. The fundamental Mormons that are polygamous in the name of God. And using God as the weapon to comply and to conform and to submit. So the religious spirit manifests as a sexual spirit, which manifests as a submissive spirit. And the more rigid and regimented the denomination, the organization is, the more prone they are. And look at the exposés that are coming out of these venerated organizations yeah. and the victims 
tens of thousands of victims who said, but he was my leader and I trusted him. And this was what I was, I was, I was instructed to submit to his authority. And he abused that authority. Why? Because of the religious spirit. Mm-hmm. So I, and this is how it manifests today. Yeah, I, that makes so much sense. And as you're talking, I was thinking about um, some of the some of the people I know who have had falls and uh, and and connecting that with a religious spirit and knowing that for many of them they didn't start out that way. I mean, you know, it wasn't like they started out saying. Um, you know, I'm going to create an idolatrous religion here and I'm going to make lots of rules and, um, and then I'm going to abuse women or, or, you know, have, uh, have an adulterous long-term adulterous relation, uh, relationship outside of my marriage. You know, they don't, they don't start out that way. And, um, and yet they fall into that. And I, you know, this patches your scripture. We don't know really, I don't know anything about Simon, it doesn't, you know, he comes in as a Pharisee and he's, he's, he, you know, so he's from a sort of a tradition and, and this woman comes into the house. But, and one of the things I noticed was like, Lord, I, what I see in this is that she had this overwhelming gratitude and understanding about what Jesus had done for her and how she did not deserve it. And he, he was steeped in pride in his rules and his position and his, you know, and, and I think that's where this creeps in. You know, I think that, that I, you know, you and I both know, Rabbi Walker, that um, being in ministry is not easy. Being a leader in ministry is not easy. There's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of hard work. I mean, some people think that, you know, you come up with a, with a sermon in five minutes and you get up there and you're performing on the platform or something for your people. And, um, and, and then you don't, you don't work all week, right? It's only on that Sunday. And of course, nothing could be farther than the truth. There's, there's lots of pressure. There's, there's lots of, and, and keeping your, your, uh, yeah, it makes me emotional, but keeping your life with Jesus fresh as a person, just as me, me and Jesus and remembering how far he's brought me and how he didn't need to save me, but he did those things have for me and my person, my own life have been key to keeping me sane, you know, under all the pressure and keeping me in an intimate relationship with the Lord. But um, but what do you see? Because you have a lot of experience with this and you've seen a lot of various people in a lot of different denominations and contexts. But how does it begin? And what are the what are the traps? And is there is there a cure? Like, can they come back from from this? Sure. I'm, you know, we serve the God of second chances. And if somebody goes through restoration, uh I think there's a restorative process that that um, of course there has to be a great deal of repentance and counseling. Should they be elevated back to the position that they were? That's up to the individual leadership team that they're accountable to. Mm-hmm. Um, but are there warning but, signs? Are there warning signs before they fall 
you know, we've, how many lately have we seen? I've heard of several, you know, there's some famous ones recently that have been in, in the news and all over Facebook. And, you know, was there, was there something along the way that had they noticed, had they understood, had someone around them noticed that they could have said, do you realize this is going on before, before it went all the way? I come from a university where the greatest university scandal of sexual molestation took place in the athletic department of Penn State. Oh, that's right. Where, where did it begin? Where did it begin? When was it reported? What did they do about it? We often don't know the genesis. We often don't know whether or not there is a, um, uh, a wife who begins to sense that there's something wrong and she goes to somebody and they say, listen, you, you, uh, uh, unless, unless you're an eyewitness. Yeah. Unless you have firsthand eyewitness testimony, do you really believe that that's something that he's capable of doing? And people will talk you out of it. And so you begin to overlook the warning signs and say, well, and people will do this to you and they will abuse that position. And they will say, well, listen, you need to look at yourself and your insecurities and, 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 you know, what, what it is about you that makes you think that that man of God, uh, who is uh, such a devoted father, uh, would ever defile his house and get up there on Sunday and preach to those people. Don't you think he would, he's close enough to God to be convicted, but the fact is, is that uh, Judas spent those years with Jesus. Yeah. And when the, op- when the opportunity was ripe, he fell. Mm-hmm. It was foretold in the book of Numbers. Not many know that the structure of the tabernacle was such that God created the leaders of the 12 tribes and he gave the leaders, called them by name, and the leader of the 12th tribe name translates from the Hebrew into the English, uh, the 12th one, the one in the rectangular closest to the tent of meeting. Uh, his name translates to Brother, brother of evil, the 12th man at the rectangular table sitting with Jesus was the brother of evil. Mm. So you have to dig pretty deep into the text to even recognize that, uh, to, to, to do the, the name translation, to see the patterns of God. But it was the exact pattern. It was what David talked about. You set a table uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. And you begin to see this. This, this pattern, but no one wants to believe that this person is capable. Right. And then you have the false accusations, which is what happened to me. Mm. See, I was falsely accused, mm. but I had video evidence. All my offices were motion sensor videoed by a third-party security company. So when Thank people God. came forth as, eye, as eyewitness testimony, 
and said, oh, yes, I saw this take place. And I would say, go to the video, pull up that day and that hour. They're so sure. It was on January the 12th at 7.30 a.m. He was in his office and he was with this woman. I said, pull it up. And there I am sitting behind my desk working on a sermon. There's nobody in the office. Mm-hmm. And I had 20 or 25 eyewitness testimonies. All of them shot down because the evidence didn't support it. And my question to them was, what was it about me that made you believe that I was capable of doing something like that? Yeah. That's the question. What is it? Because that destroyed a congregation. 750 families scattered. They lost their shepherd. And now they've broken into 10 different flailing little fledgling congregations that that beg to be reunited, but will never happen. Why? I had no set of rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. We had no rules about children running in the sanctuary. I I loved it. We had no crying rooms because babies cry. That's right. And mamas bring your baby, bring mamas bring your baby in the sanctuary. And if I can't preach with the crying baby, I don't need to be in the pulpit. And if your children don't learn how to worship, who's going to teach them? Mm-hmm. And if they don't see their mother and father worship, why are you removing them from that experience? Mm-hmm. Because when they see mom and dad worship, mm-hmm. they're going to do like Jesus did. I only do what I saw my father do. I only say what I heard my father say. We start dropping these kids off. And this is what happened. We have these, these divisions and we have these leaders and we put this youth pastor and he's got young girls with him. And all of a sudden now they, he has an affinity because one's got a problem and he finds himself and they, they linger and they stay behind the rides late. And they even have texted their mom and say, Oh, youth groups going an hour late tonight, don't pick me up for another hour. And she's, she's making sure that she's making herself available. And he doesn't have the boundaries. Yeah. And maybe he has good intentions and he feels his comfort, but mm-hmm. there's reasons why mm-hmm. a pastor should never be alone with a woman in his office. There's a reason why windows yeah should be in offices and doors should not be closed. There's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But when we elevate the leader to a position of, we don't question, mm-hmm. they are the ultimate authority. And who do we go to? Because then what happens is, is the gossip begins. And people say, oh, this person's no longer loyal. And what happens? You hear of somebody leaving. You don't understand why why they're leaving. They're leaving because they knew something, saw something, said something. And the religious spirit is strong. It's a powerful spirit. 
Yeah, we didn't seems- have mega churches. We didn't have mega churches 20 years ago. Mm-mm. I was going to say, I think that um, one of the things that I, that I'm hearing as you speak um, because there are, you know, there you're, you're absolutely right. Especially young leaders who um, don't have the boundaries yet put up in their life, you know, to, to, uh, to help them maintain their purity for lack of a better word, but, you know, from crossing boundary, other people's boundaries or falling into sexual sin or other kinds of things. Um, And of course we could talk a long time. I know that you and I both could talk a long time about the lack of accountability for many leaders that um, will say that they have an accountability structure, but they don't actually let themselves be held accountable, nor do they actually share honestly and transparently what is going on in their lives. And so there's a fall, even though they might have a seemingly accountability team, but because accountability really requires a level of honesty and humility and transparency, um, or else it doesn't really work. Um, but what I but what I was hearing from you when you talked about a religious spirit uh, re- and connected to sexual sin rather than one of these, like a lack of a boundary, a, fo- a foolish thing happened, or you know, you you allowed someone get too close to you, or you you start having an emotional connection with someone you shouldn't be having an emotional connection with because you've had deep and private conversations, and then it turns into something else. Um, but the religious spirit seems to be more like a power play to me than a, a falling into a, a situation and you weren't wise about it, you know, or, or you had some, you know, that, you know, you were uh, solicited, you know, all the various things that can happen, you know, or even your situation where you were falsely accused, there's lots of things going on there. And that could be a religious spirit, of course, a false accusation, I think could come from a religious spirit. Because I think that a religious spirit from all the things that you talked about and the things that I've seen in this passage, they like to have control, which is why they like a people to be submitted, submissive, right, under their authority. And so they like to have position. They like to have control. I think they're full of pride. They take great pride in their, their intellect and in their position and in their, you know, money, whatever it is. And, um, and that's a little different. That's a little different scenario, don't you think? Take a look outside of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Take a look at Islam. Yeah. Islam is the most rigid, regimented, submitted, and therefore the amount of abuse and the mistreatment of women oh, huge. is a part, a part of the culture because mm-hmm. the legal structure of this religious spirit that establishes parameters where one is less than another and one must submit to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in submitting to the local authority, but I also believe that if the local authority is out of line with the authority of God, that civil disobedience is in order. And I can defy that as Jesus defied it. And uh, the laws of man may be in conflict with God. But Paul alluded to this. He said, listen, if you can't control your desires, 
then you should you should be married. Right. But if you can't, but if you can, then your body is the temple of the Lord. Let it not be defiled. The sexual sin is the most personal defilement of oneself. Theft, murder, stealing, all these things have a victim. Sexual sin is where the body, where the temple of the Lord is being defiled. And when you think you are above, you know, it's interesting in this whole political scenario, the chant, no one is above the law. No one is above the law. No one is above the law. But yet, the people that were saying it were all shifting and, and all distraction and all trying to get you not to look at what they were doing. Yeah. And we, we see in government, uh, this this um, the application not universal. You know, the word of God is to be universally applied. God is no respecter of persons. Therefore, you abide in me; I abide in you. Be holy, because I'm holy. Right. right? Now, now. There's not a separate set of rules for pastors. There's not a separate set of rules for teachers. As a matter of fact, there's a higher accountability for that. But what happens is, is man's nature is to become a lover of self. Yeah. And this is, she just warned us about it. He said in the last days, men will become lovers of themselves. And so you have these people who have been elevated to these positions of great authority and great wealth and have consequences for questioning. You question, you're put out. And what are they doing? They have a mistress on the side. They have several homes. They have women living in those homes. They travel and yet why because they created this rigid structure the more rigid the structure the more opportunity the more ripe it is for this sexual sin for this religious spirit to creep in mm -hmm. uh, and then the message begins to change and paul warned in his letter to timothy he said, listen, if you hear of a gospel being preached, which is wholly different than the gospel I preached, he said, run. He said, if you hear of a Holy Spirit that is wholly different than the Holy Spirit that I preached to you, hit the door. He said, but if you hear of a Jesus who is similar, but different, and that requires discernment. Mm. In order to discern this new gospel, this watered-down gospel, this tolerant gospel, this gospel light, this new, it's okay. It's all okay. And this shift towards, oh, 
if you abide by the word of God, you're legalistic. And the shift is now that you and I are going to be judged. And you and I are the haters. And you and I are the racist. And you and I are the hate speakers. Because we are abiding by the word of God. And they're going to turn the tables. And that's where the persecution will come in. And who will lead that persecution? It's the ones with the religious spirit. Because now they can get away with their wealth and their fame and their following. And I promise you that I'm sure that there are wonderful men in the pulpits of many of the mega churches, but in the pulpit, there are many man followers and they're following the man, not the leading of the Lord. And when you have that, there's opportunity. And if I'm this person, this man you're following, and I say, Kim Moss, why don't you come by my office next week? I, you know, I've, I've noticed that you're very engaged with, I want to talk to you about that. And you go, oh, pastor, I'm so honored. I'm so blessed to come in. What time should I come in? Well, come in about 730 Okay, Pastor, that's what's convenient for you. I have meetings all day, but I uh, come in at 7.30 and you go by the office and there's no staff there. Turn. Walk out Run. The door. Run quick. Run fast. <laughs> Don't pass Don't the have <laughs> Right. Don't have the meeting after hours. Yeah. Be discerning. Yeah. And unfortunately, the fall of man was universal. Mm-hmm. none are righteous no not one mm-hmm. and we have to be on the lookout for this because what did the pharisee see when he saw the woman he saw a prostitute he saw sex yeah. he saw that this was out of line and therefore he applied a standard to the circumstance that had nothing to do with the circumstance but because he was defiled by a religious spirit Mm-hmm. He now looked through the lens of that religious spirit and imprinted on her. No grace, yes. no mercy and standing. And I, I feel like the Lord is wanting to deal with this. Well, for many reasons, of course. But in this hour and in this time, because if we are looking, if we were, if we are looking forward to a harvest, um, a new wave of evangelism and um, a new, I'm just, you know, sinners coming back to Jesus, coming, coming to Jesus, you know, those who've never heard about him, who've lived their all their life in sin, you know, we have to, we have to be able to bring them, welcome them into the church because Jesus would welcome them. You know, he would welcome their worship. He would welcome their newfound faith. But if we are infected with a religious spirit, we will do to them what the Pharisee did to the woman. And this is this is what I feel like God, the peace that God is giving me about this, that this that this is why he must come and shake up and reveal to the church, reveal to leaders in the church where we have become infected, where we have where we have compromised, uh, where we have become proud, where we have taken, where we have forgotten 
forgotten our own testimony of salvation and we've lost our gratitude and therefore we we really don't we worship in form like you said in a with a form of godliness with no power you know and as as the quote from abraham heschel says that that it becomes it becomes religious but it's meaningless it's not an intimate relationship with god and so there's not real worship in the church and you know rabbi why i know you do but i'm not talking about singing I'm talking about honoring God. I'm talking about, about um, allowing him to be on the throne of our hearts and, and in the church and be the center of our, of our worship and everything we say and everything that we do. And then welcoming those who, who need to find Jesus, you know, and allowing then the Holy Spirit to come and bring sanctification. I mean, I, I've had, when I was pastoring, I had people in the church that would, we would have young adult, young adult, young women, young men come into the church. And, you know, they're, they were tattooed. The girls are wearing very low cut blouses because, you know, they're coming in off the street and they're, they're brand new. They don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about modesty. They don't know anything about being godly, you know, holy, any of that, which is not a set of rules, but it's a, it's a position of your heart you know? And, um, and so they're coming in just like they do when they're at a bar, you know, I mean, the short skirt and their boobs hanging out, you know, and the guys all tattooed and everything and cussing up a storm, you know, and all of that. And, and I would have people come into my office and say, pastor Kim, you have to do something, you know, because this girl's boobs are hanging out, you know? And I'm like, you, you're judging her. I'm just glad she's in the church. I'm going to love on her. I'm not going to look at her boobs. Why are you, you know, well, because my husband is, well, then you need to call your husband on his issue because it's not her issue. As the Holy spirit begins to sanctify her, that will stop. That will go away. That's just a symptom of her, of her worldliness and carnality right now, you know, but Hey, she's, she came to church. This is a celebration, you know, and, um, and I think this is, this is what God wants us to see and understand, you know, if we don't clean out the religious spirit and I did not have an understanding. So you teach me every time we're together. I didn't have an understanding that the religious spirit was so closely knit with the, with the sexual sin. Um, because then uh, uh, l- our, let me, let me, yeah, let me, I was going to just say one last thing. Yes. Yeah. That, that then our, our, newly new believers these young inexperienced then they are they are fall prey see then they're prey to a religious spirit they're prey to uh being sexually abused they're pr- prey to being relig- being spiritually abused and uh and being told to submit in a way that they were never supposed to submit except to jesus himself and it has to be cleansed what were you going to say why did god not spare sodom and gomorrah You told me this. Are we, are we not? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Are we not doing the same things in America <clears throat> that Sodom and Gomorrah was doing? Yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed for their sin. It was because there were not 10 righteous men. Yeah. And America has been spared because there has to be 10 righteous men found within the borders of of this country. And I'm calling forth those 10 righteous men. Mm 
to come together, to make themselves known, to be called by God, to begin what some are calling the Great Awakening, the next great revival. But it has to come from those 10 righteous men that God has spared America for. And I don't know who they are. I don't know that they're the people doing the Jericho March or the National Day of Prayer or the presence this, or the presence that. I'm not sure that they're not in Dubuque, Iowa in a small 80-person <laughs> church. And they're called by God to be one of the 10 righteous men to come let together. Me ask a queer, let me ask you a clarifying question about that. Um, sure. So um, for, I understand what you're saying. I want my audience to understand and hear from you about this. But when you say 10 righteous men, you're not saying that the rest of us don't have, I mean, because when I come to Jesus and Jesus is in me, I, I receive his righteousness. So I am a righteous man, so to speak. Absolutely. But you are distinguishing these 10 righteous men as leaders, as statesmen, as, as you're not saying the rest of us are not righteous is what I'm saying. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that whoever, if Abraham could have produced in his narrative work with God, mm -hmm. whoever he started 50 and came down to 10. Whoever those men would have been, he could have presented before God to meet God's standard as the ones to lead, as the ones to start this new. Not the failed revivals that the uh, the name got enamored with himself and began pushing people and uh, gotten involved in adulterous affairs and brought incredible shame onto the body of Messiah. That these are pure, righteous men to step up, to come together. They may not know each other, but I believe that God will call them and say that if God doesn't judge America, for the 60 million babies' blood that cries out from the ground. And the only thing that spared that would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah was to produce 10 righteous men. And God said he would spare them. If we're going to bring revival to America, mm -hmm. we have to meet God's standard, not man's standard. God's standard was 10 righteous men. If you can produce before me that meet my standard of 10 righteous men, I believe that they will ignite the fire that will bring together in righteousness those that would be fitting to have been presented before God by Abraham to save the nation. I believe that day is coming. And the hope is not in man, the hope is in God, that God has done such a work that might be 20 years old, they might be 90 years old, I have no idea. But I believe the call needs to go out. And that someone will hear that call and they will say that this confirms a vision or a dream that God gave me, that I would be, as I was reading 
that I could have been one of those righteous men and I could have spared the nation. Well, you're here. And this is the time. And this is the place. And this is the Sodom Gomorrah of the 21st century. And God has spared us because there has to be 10 righteous men. There could be 20, there could be 50. Yeah. But the minimum he required was 10 to come together to ignite this. And I believe that it will happen. But it's going to happen out of righteousness. It's going to happen out of a genuine call and a call that is confirmed immediately. It is one that is revealed to many who would want to get behind this, not denominationally, not with rules and regulations, but with the pure, unadulterated preaching and teaching of the entirety of the Word of God. Not to tickle the ear, but to bring true salvation, true redemption, true restoration to a nation that has lost its way and to a body that today is more committed to their sin than they are to the Lord. George Barna, the greatest researcher in the modern age, studies show that only 6% of Christians in America have a biblical worldview. 6%. Yeah. Which is frightening on the one hand, right? However, it also should present us with, with a hope that they are ripe for the gospel, that we are ripe oh, for, a fresh, for a fresh pe- preaching of the gospel of, of the kingdom that we have not been ripe for. It's, it, it feels to me like a setup for the, for the revival that, that can happen, that I believe is coming, that I believe I really believe that this entire last uh, year, this this episode will air um, or sometime early next year in 2021. But we're recording in December for those of you who are curious. Um, but this whole year with COVID and everything, um, and and all of the political unrest and everything, has been a shaking of the Lord, and and a setup so that God can raise up. Uh, those who are righteous. And so that the word, of course, the gospel of the kingdom can be preached again to another generation that is obviously lost, but, and yet to be found, but can be found. And so um, that gives great hope. And we are out of time, Rabbi Walker, but I want you to come back again. Will you come back again sometime? And let's talk about some deep subjects. (laughs) And uh, thank you so much for your understanding. It really was an amazing uh, some really amazing insight, very, uh, very crucial for our time and led into so many other things that I would love to talk about next time. Let, one of the things I would love to talk to you about is the fear of the Lord. I feel that God is wanting to bring back a fear of the Lord, that we've lost our fear of the Lord. And, um, and I've heard so many different people talk 
so many different things on it. And of course I have my own understanding from scripture, but I would love to hear your thoughts and your understanding about the fear of the Lord. And so, uh, so will you join me again to talk about the fear of the Lord sometime? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's wonderful. All right. Well, everybody who's listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, and I hope that we will see you again on the Move Forward podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. That's me. I'm your host. And uh, and we want to thank so much. Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Walker, for coming. And as we end, would you pray for us? Would you would you pray for leaders? I'd like you to pray for leaders who are being right now uh Maybe they are in the beginnings of being overtaken in bondage to the real, to the religious spirit, and they don't even realize it. And um, but would you would you pray for leaders regarding that in the church right now? I'd appreciate that. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we bend the knees of our heart to you, Father God, and humble ourselves before you. Father, we know that there is a spirit in this earth that would want to break. Uh, this breaker spirit that wants to come and just destroy mm -hmm. everything. And for us to submit and to relent and pastors in the pulpits under attack, Father God, and Christianity coming under attack, Father God. And I ask you, Lord God, to pour out a hedge of protection about them, uh, the, the blood of Messiah over them and about them that the enemy cannot cross that there would be a new season of boldness, Father God, that the spirit of fear would leave, the spirit of oppression would leave, the spirit of uh, domination of a corrupt government would leave, Father God, and that these leaders would rise up and take a stand, and through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Father God, that no word would proceed from their mouth that is not, Father God, of you. Lord, let us not fall for the trap of size or numbers or tithes and offerings, Father God, but let us go back to the calling of the ministry of one anothering, a calling to make you known throughout the world and to bring the good news of Messiah. Father, we ask you to send Aaron and her to every leader that his arms may be outstretched in victory, Father God. And as they grow weary in this battle, Father God, you will send those to lift up their arms. And while their arms are lifted up on the mountaintop in the valley, the victory is being won. And so, Lord God, we ask you, Father, to convict not condemn, but to use this season, Father God, for a new cleansing, to yes. bring forth a fresh new anointing, Lord God, to raise up the righteous ones, to take the lead, to bring the nation together, Father God, with one heart, one voice, one spirit. You say in Genesis 11, if these people will do this in one accord, nothing will be impossible for them, Father God. You never rescinded that. Let us come together, Lord God, in one accord, in unity, with one truth, the truth of your word, the true gospel, 
the true Holy Spirit, the true Messiah, Jesus, who shed blood on the cross was used to purchase us from the pit of hell and from a life of filth. Wash us with your word, Father God. Search us, O God, and reveal to us and cause us to be accountable and confess our sins one to another, Father God, that be reminded that you're faithful to forgive us our sins, not to condemn us for them, but to cast them as far as the east is from the west and to empower and to strengthen. In the Hebrew, it's hazak, hazak, venit hazek, be strong, be strong, be strengthened. Let there be a strengthening, Father God. Silence the voices that are not of you, Father God, and amplify the ones so it is heard around the world. With bold truth, that will break through every stronghold and every chain that binds. We lift up these leaders to you, Father God. We ask for a double portion of your anointing. We ask you to bind your mind to their minds, bind your heart to their heart, bind your spirit to their spirit, bind your mouth to their mouth, Father God, that they would fulfill the ambassadorship given to them. As Paul talked about every new creation, a minister of reconciliation, an ambassadorship of God, let us speak only the words that glorify heaven as we dedicate them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been listening today to uh, Rabbi Eric Walker. You can find him on ignitinganation.com. Look him up on Twitter, Facebook, buy his books on Amazon, uh, The Seven Laws of Abundant Living, and The Codist, Mystery Behind Aaron's Robe. I know that you have been blessed like I have. And until next time, everybody. Goodbye, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you back again on Move Forward with Dr. Kim Moss. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.